The readings are taken from the book of Romans, chapter 7, an illustration from marriage. Verses 4 to 11, 21 to 23, on page 1113 in your pew Bible. Also Romans chapter 8, page 1134, verses 5 to 6, Life through the Spirit. There are three readings. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known that sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said so. Do not covet, <coughs> but sin, seizing the opportunity, <coughs> seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For part from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. Verses 21 to 23. So, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right, there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Turn now to chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. Life through the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. So today, as James already said, we're carrying on in our Holy Spirit series, 
looking at different characteristics that we experience in the Holy Spirit. Last week, Colin kicked us off with looking at the Holy Spirit as a hallmark of God's love in us. And today, I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit as our inner compass. So, why don't we, before we crack on, pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time of worship together. We thank you that we can join together as a family to have fun and to worship, to pray and praise you. And Lord, I pray that the words that I've prepared um, would be what you want to say today, that you would speak through them to our hearts, and that today we would have a fresh encounter of your love by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Great. So, the Bible passage that we've been given, a little bit confusing in places. It talks a lot about rules, a lot about law, and not easily, identifiably, much about the Holy Spirit. But we're going to unpick that. The first thing I want us to think about is why do we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit as our inner compass? And to answer that, we kind of need to go right back to the beginning of the whole story. When God created us, he had this amazing plan for our lives and our lives with him. It was his deepest desire that we would walk with him as his friends, as his children, talking, sharing life together, enjoying each other's company. I don't know if you've ever had um, a friend invited over to spend time with you. Maybe you've organised a play date. Maybe you've invited someone from a meal. Um, you spend some time thinking, what are we going to do together when they're here? These are things I might want to show them. These are games that we could play together. This is what we could talk about. Maybe you've prepared a meal for them. But actually when they arrive, they're not really interested in doing what you want to do. Instead, they kind of brought their own books, their own stuff. They just want to do their own thing. Or maybe they just don't show up at all. And that's a little bit like how we've been with God. God created us to have this sort of eternal play date with him. This time when we'd spend time together with him enjoying his company. But instead, we've sort of said to him, do you know what, thanks for the plan. I kind of think I'm going to do it my own way. I've got some of my own ideas about rules I want to try out. I've got some morals I've been thinking about. I'm going to try those. Thanks for yours. I'm going to call a rain check on that and do my own thing. And because we've turned away from God, as we talked about in our confession, because we've turned our back on him and done things our own way, our friendship with him has been broken. And that's really what we talk about when we talk about sin. We're talking about doing things our own way and not joining in with God's original plan. But the thing about that is, God designed us to have this relationship with him. It's almost like it's part of our DNA. Imagine a Formula One race car. It's engineered to precision, to the millimetre. They know what tyre treads they need. They know what oil they need. They know how fast it can go. They know it has the potential to win race after race after race and make someone a champion. But it's not going to go anywhere if people forget to put the fuel in. Without the petrol or the diesel, it's just going to be sitting there looking quite pretty, but not very useful at all. And that's very much like how we are without God's Holy Spirit living in us. We've been designed to function with this fuel of the Holy Spirit. So if you take that away, we might look great on the outside. We might have so much potential still built into us to win the race, but we're not going to get very far unless we can start at the top of a hill and hope gravity takes control. Without God's Holy Spirit living in us, we're like a car without petrol. Even though our relationship with God has been broken by sin, our purpose, our potential, the way we've been engineered to work and the brilliant plan he had laid out for us is still the same. But 
because of our sin, not only is it difficult to achieve that potential, but sometimes we completely lose sight of our identity, of the potential. Instead of thinking, you know what, I am a Formula One race car, we think, do you know what, I'm a bit like a Robin Reliant. Maybe actually I'm a bit like a tandem bike. Pretty redundant, not going to actually make much of myself in life. But if I work really, 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 really hard, then maybe I could forge a success myself. Actually, God made us like race cars. But because of our sins, sometimes we find it really, really difficult to know our potential, to know that we were made for a life of significance, security and acceptance in his love. And we end up believing that the bad things that are part of our personality traits are just the way we are. Have you ever said that to yourself? If someone's maybe poked something at you and said, oh, you're awfully bad-tempered. Well, that's just the way I am. Or you're awfully untidy. Well, that's just the way I am. We often say that of ourselves, don't we? To almost let ourselves off the hook of being less than how we could be. Because actually, God's not made us to be just the way we are. He made us to be amazing. And we can give ourselves an excuse because we forget who we were made to be. In the reading we've just heard, I really like reading it in different translations to try and get a grip on what is it really saying. So looking at different ways the Bible's been translated is a really good way of doing that. And there's a translation called the Passion Translation, which I think puts it in such clear language. Paul says in chapter 720, If my behaviour contradicts my desire to do good... I must conclude it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Sin not only separates us from that friendship with God, but also stops us being who we were really meant to be. But the good news is, since the very beginning, God had a plan to make things right. And the first step of that plan was the law, his commandments, his rules, which were to help us understand how we could live a good life. We've already talked about rules today, haven't we? And thought a little bit about some rules like speed limits are there to protect us. Some rules like grammar help to bring us understanding. And some rules like the rules of a game in Monopoly help us to give purpose and meaning to what we're doing. And God's rules are very much like that. They help to protect us, help us to bring understanding, help us to have purpose and meaning. In our Bible reading, Paul describes the law as the perfect thing for defining sin. The the law of God's law, the Ten Commandments, everything else that came with that helps us to recognise what sin is. Because as Paul says, I wouldn't know what coveting was unless the law told me that was wrong. I wouldn't know what it was to be jealous of my brother unless the law had told me that wasn't a good thing. But we can easily think of God's rules, God's laws, all the nitty-gritty bits of the Bible, some of which seem so irrelevant to life these days, as almost a to-do list. If I get these ticked off, I'll be right with God. If I could just be good enough, then I would be good enough to be with God. And you've probably heard somebody in your life at some point say, do you know what, that person is so good, they're almost certainly going to get to heaven, it's like they've got wings already. And that's because we have this idea that our friendship with God is somehow dependent on us being good enough. But God never intended the law or the rules and the regulations to be the fixer. They were only part one of the plan, remember. Instead of being the fixer, they were meant to be a pointer, an indicator 
the benchmark to show us that we had fallen short, that our way of doing things was really not as good as God's way had been intended. Part two of God's plan was Jesus. And in his own words, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that basically means, it's like we're saying Jesus came to get it all right, and he could do that because he had the Holy Spirit living in him, he had the petrol, but to take the blame for us doing it all wrong. Jesus is the way that we can be friends with God again, and to have that plan of life that God originally made for us. Jesus was the way to fix it, but it's God's Holy Spirit living in us that helps us to stick to it. The law was a thing in the first place that was meant to point out that we needed God and we needed Jesus to save us. But it is, as we're focusing on in this series, the Holy Spirit that is the, the crucial bit to this. Because it's all very well for God to kind of take away the fact that we've done something wrong. But unless God empowers us to do right, we're still going to be that car without the petrol. And that's where the Holy Spirit as our inner compass comes in. So what do we mean when we talk about him as an inner compass? Well, firstly, we're not talking about a fancier conscience. It's not, um, the Holy Spirit isn't within us to make us feel more guilty about what we're getting wrong or to give us more scruples or to make us feel worse about the things that we're missing out on. In many ways, he does exactly the opposite by assuring us of God's love and reminding us again and again that no matter how far away from the, the benchmark we fall, God the Father still loves us. You take a look at the compass that we have in front of us. No matter how much you twist it, shake it, whether I walk this way, that way, if I turn my back, whichever way I'm facing, the arrow will always end up pointing back towards magnetic north. And that's such a powerful picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts, constantly directing us back to God the Father's love. It doesn't matter whether I'm facing the right way or the wrong way, whether I'm heading in the right direction or the wrong direction. His Holy Spirit directs us back to the love of our Heavenly Father. And there's three ways that I think the passage in Romans tells us that God directs us through his Holy Spirit. The first one is that the Holy Spirit puts our identity right. Remember at the beginning, I talked about how God created us to be his friends, to be his children, to live life alongside him. Well, the Holy Spirit makes it clear to our hearts that we are God's beloved children. We read um, a part of Romans earlier, and if we carried on reading, Romans 8, 14 14 to 16 talks about this very, very clearly. It says, The mature children of God are only those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive a spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But instead, you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirit joins him in saying the words of tender affection, my lovely daddy. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. And he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. The Holy Spirit puts right our identity. And I think, certainly in my life, that's the biggest job he's had to do. Because for so many of us, the sin in our own life and the sin we experience from other people that hurts us and bashes us around a little bit leads us to feel so deeply unloved, so unworthy, so dirty and insignificant. 
And the Holy Spirit has so much repair work to build us up again and also unpick those lies that have told us we're not worthy of his glory. But as we lean in to listen to the Holy Spirit and we spend time in his presence, God's love fills us up and surprises us with his joy. This is a message that the Holy Spirit is not going to give up on. If you've not felt a concrete sense of God's love or can be convicted that actually you are a child of God, don't worry too much about that. The Holy Spirit is going to keep on nagging you until it sinks in because that is his primary job. Jeremiah 31.3 prophesies about, that means that he tells the fortunes, he tells the future of what the Holy Spirit will do. And he says, the Holy Spirit will say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. His love is everlasting. His drawing of us is ending in kindness. Okay, so point two, the Holy Spirit enables us to love God back. Sometimes we think, you know, God feels so abstract sometimes, so distant, maybe on a fluffy cloud somewhere. It's quite difficult to get our heads around. How could I have a relationship with God? But the Holy Spirit works in us to fill our hearts with his love so that we also can love back. Romans 5.5 says, For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And as we've just heard, Romans 8.15, And you will never feel orphaned again, for as he rises up within us, our spirit joins him in saying the words of tender affection, My lovely daddy. When we receive God's love, the Holy Spirit stirs us to love back and have a greater capacity for loving other people. I don't know if you've ever tried to love other people. Maybe you've tried to love other people in church. Maybe you've tried to love a Christian. Personally, I think that's a supernatural miracle if you can manage that sometimes. Loving Christians is blooming hard work. Maybe that's just me. Okay. But actually, God's Holy Spirit working in us does stir our hearts miraculously to have this generosity of spirit and generosity of love towards one another. It isn't an easy task without him. We grate each other, we bash against each other, we cause each other's backs to go up. But with the Holy Spirit working in us, we can love one another. And then the third and final thing that the Holy Spirit does to direct us as our inner compass is he stirs us to want to live right. Ezekiel, again, a prophet in the Old Testament, said in advance of the Holy Spirit coming to to people what he would do. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors and you'll be called my people and I'll be your God. This is such a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does when he comes to live in us. He restores that loving relationship with God. He helps us love our brothers and sisters again. But not only that, our confirmed identity as his sons and daughters again means that our standards and expectations suddenly go a little bit higher. If you think about um, maybe the story of the princess and the pea, that's something I'm always reminded about about this. Just to remind you, the prince wants to marry a princess, but she must be a really, truly royal princess. And in order to suss that out, he sends a test. She can come and spend the night. I mean, how dodgy is this anyway, really? She can come and spend the night in his castle, and she's going to sleep on this stack of 20 mattresses, and he will put a pea underneath one that she won't know about. If she sleeps well, then, well, she's just a common girl. But if she's uncomfortable because there's that nitty-gritty pea underneath her, then he'll know that she's truly royal. 
And of course, she comes to stay, she sleeps awfully, and he knows that she's a truly royal princess, and so he marries her. Why she marries him after that, I don't know. But that's a story for another day. But with us, when God restores our identity to be sons and daughters of the Creator, we are like royalty. He instills that in us, and our standards and expectations, he elevates. And because of the Holy Spirit living in us, sometimes it means that we are more aware of that nitty-gritty pee in our own lives. There might be so much right, but we become really sensitive to those things that are just sitting under the surface that aren't quite right yet. The bumps that need to be smoothed out, the bedding that needs to be changed, the peas that need to be removed. Because the Holy Spirit stirs us with his love to know that we're worth more than just any old bed. We're princes, we're princesses. So the challenge for us all really is how much are we letting the Holy Spirit be our inner compass? How much are we allowing him to direct our hearts towards the Father's love? How much are we allowing him to align our standards and expectations to be that of royalty? I want us to spend a couple of minutes um, allowing ourselves to respond to his prompting. I'm not going to tell you what to do because I think the Holy Spirit has his own thing for each one of us that he wants to take away. But it might, feel, it might be that you feel you need your heart to be realigned, to be directed by the compass, to know for sure that you are his child. It might be that you need the Holy Spirit to really help direct you to be loving towards other people. Maybe not people in general, maybe there's just one person who you just can't stand and you really need the Holy Spirit to redirect you to love them. It might be that you need the Holy Spirit to replace a spirit of religious duty, to replace a sense in you that you've got to do more to achieve his love. Or perhaps you need the Holy Spirit to raise your standards and your expectations. I want us to finish now. We're going to listen to a song. And as you listen to the lyrics and as you just wait and think about it, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to meet you in your heart as as your compass, whichever direction you need his guidance today. So we're going to play that now and just take a few minutes and invite the Holy Spirit to come and be your compass.